So a couple summers ago, there was a moment when I was away from home for three weeks in the month of July. Uh, it was an incredible schedule because I had youth summer retreat, and then I had uh, a foreign mission trip to Dominican Republic, and then uh, right after that, literally the day after, we went to Pittsburgh for our domestic mission trip. Now, I didn't, I didn't want to plan it this way. I actually asked uh, some of our youth students who were going to Dominican Republic, hey, what do you want to do? Should we schedule this in a, in a later time or a different time? But they're like, no, we want to do back-to-back. We are committed for the month of July. And so me being the pastor, I was like, okay, fine. You know, you guys are committed, I'm committed too. Uh, so it was really hard for our family because Timothy wasn't even a year old. He couldn't walk. And so what happened was my wife took uh, Timothy to Texas. My in-laws were living in Texas, so uh, they were there. And while they were there, I had an incredible time just serving the Lord, being with God's people, doing the work of the ministry. But also, I was incredibly exhausted uh, on the way back from Pittsburgh. I just remember it was a Friday and, and I was driving for four hours. And, you know, I have youth kids uh, who are keeping me awake. But at the same time, I, on my side, I have some jelly. I have some candy. I'm, I'm really literally chugging Skittles down my throat, drinking coffee just to stay awake. I, and I finally make it. It's around 7 p.m. And I didn't have a warm shower or a nice shower for, for a couple weeks now at this point. So I, I go home. I actually pick something up uh, and to eat. I take a warm shower. I eat. And then I just don't remember what happened that night. But I receive a call, and it's a call from my mother-in-law. And she tells me that my wife, Hain, and Timothy are waiting at the airport. And, and that's when I realized, oh, wait, they're coming today. <laughs> I have to pick them up. Well, I, I knew that they were flying in from Texas that, that night, that evening, uh, but what happened was after, after dinner, I just forgot to set an alarm clock. I just literally said, okay, I'm just going to lie down in my bed for five minutes, and that just happened to be a couple hours. And so it's, it's a terrifying thing when you receive a call from your mother-in-law in the middle of night, and, and, and she's telling you, well, your wife and your child is at the airport. And so I call my wife. I see that there's 20 missed calls from, from Hain, and they've been at, at the airport at, for about an hour at this point. And so I call and, and, and you can just tell from the tone of her voice. She's very patient, but also extremely upset and angry. And so I, I, I really pull out a, a fast and furious all the way to the airport. And I, I, I didn't break any law. Well, maybe I might have broke some laws at that point, but it was an emergency. If, if someone would have stopped me, I would have told them it was an emergency. Uh, because they could have took Uber, but, you know, it's really difficult when you don't have car seat and, and, and you're with a baby that's, that, that's, that's crying all the time. And so I finally get there and I bring them back home. And so it's, it's, it's around 2, 2 a.m. Uh, when they come back home. And uh, later, I actually uh, looked through all the messages that my wife sent. I, I didn't have a time to just go through the messages because, you know, immediately my mind was I, had to, I have to go to the airport. Uh, but I go through and I can tell her emotions, how they, they changed. In the beginning, it was like, hey, we're here. Uh, and, then, and then it's like, wait, are you, are you coming? And, and then she realizes that, okay, I, I'm, I'm not awake. And then, and then she's like, oh, okay, maybe we'll take an Uber or I'll find a way home. And then, and so the emotion goes from questioning uh, my availability to di- disappointment 
to hopelessness. This guy is not showing up. So I got to find a way home, right? Um, that's, that's what's going on in today's text. Uh, it, it's a hopeless situation. In today's passage, first we're introduced to this incredible couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told in verse 5 that this, these are the days of King Herod, uh, the king of Judea, and there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So immediately off the bat, you notice that these, these two individuals, this couple, they come from an incredible line of faith. Uh, Zechariah himself was a priest, which means he came from a family of priests. We also see that uh, Elizabeth is a daughter of Aaron, which is from the line of, of this priestly family. And so you kind of know right off the bat they are PKs. They are priest kids. Uh, and, so, and one is serving as a priest, so they come from an incredible line of faith. Not only that, they are incredibly faithful to the Lord. We are told in verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So they were faithful to the Lord. They were so good in their life. They were nice, kind, faithful people that the Bible literally says they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. That is a very big statement. So here you have a godly, faithful couple who is walking with the Lord on a daily basis. They are doing the right thing. They are involved in ministry. They are serving God's people as a priest. Zechariah is leading people to worship. He's pointing people to, 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 to God. And so you have this incredible couple, but they have this incredible problem in their life. And that is that uh, they have no children. It says in verse 7, Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that this is not a small problem for many couples. Um, for many couples who want to have kids, uh, not being able to have kids or waiting on children, it's a very difficult, it's a painful, it's a frustrating situation. Because there's not much you can do, right? I mean, there are certain things that you can do, but at the end of the day, you need God's blessing. You need something to happen supernaturally. And so um, a lot of things are out of your control when you're thinking about having a child. And so when you struggle to have a child, first you question, is there something wrong with my body physically? And then you begin to question, oh, then should I use my finances to maybe get some technical support uh, or go a different route? Do I have to think about adoption, uh, foster kids? Or, um, and, and you kind of lay down these different options, or do I just constantly wait on the Lord um, in prayer? And then you kind of see on Instagram or Facebook that all your friends are posting photos or videos of, of children. Uh, and, and I want to tell you that, that those photos and pictures do not accurately represent the reality of parenting, right? Absolutely not. We are posting the best of the best uh, just to feel, just to get out of the reality of parenting for one moment. But still, it's a, it's a hindrance to many people, and it's frustrating. And every family gathering, you're asked, when are you going to have kids? Like, when is it going to happen? And so you have this frustration build, being built inside, you have this constant pressure from the outside. And, and so even it, today, this is a real problem for a lot of couples. But for people in the first century living in this Jewish culture, 
being childless as a couple was really viewed as a curse, almost as a curse from God. Because in Psalm 127, it, uh, it says that children are a blessing from God. And if you don't have children, it simply means that you don't have the favor, the blessing of God. So it almost feels like you've been abandoned by God, that God is neglecting you. Now, nowadays, we have retirement plans. We have different ways that we can prepare for our future. Back in the days, your child was your retirement plan. Right? When you get old and you can't work anymore, you are counting on your children to take care of you, to support you, to honor you in such a way. So in many different ways, this was a very hopeless situation. This couple is battling disappointment um, in their life. Just imagine, you know, being Elizabeth at this moment, how she would feel. You know, she's probably thinking a million times, what is wrong with me? And then it turns into, what is wrong with God? Right? Why me? Why is he leaving me out? Why is he neglecting me? Is he punishing me? Did I do something wrong? You know, every time they are starting a new year, they are praying for a child. Every time they are sharing their prayer request, they are bringing up the fact that they want to have children. So, um, and they're hoping that this year is going to be different, that, that things are going to change this year. One year becomes two years, two years becomes ten years, and now they're at the point where physically, biologically, it is impossible to have a child. So there's this constant disappointment that leads to a situation of hopelessness in today's passage. So the first truth I want to communicate today is this. Life is full of trouble that makes everything seem hopeless. Life is full of trouble that makes everything seems hopeless. You know, one thing I'm really thankful about this text is the fact that the Bible is very specific about in, 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 when it comes to the character of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told that they are not walking in sin, but they are walking in righteousness. In, in other words, they are not being punished for their sins. They are good and godly, faithful people. It just happens to be they are struggling with some difficulties in their lives. It's not a result of their personal sin. It's not a result of some sort of defect that they have. The couple is righteous before the Lord. It just happens to be they are struggling with the problem of a barrenness. It's not a result of God's judgment. That's very, very clear in today's text. And it makes you understand that you can be a godly person, you can be walking with the Lord and still struggle with the idea of hopelessness. Some people tell you, well, if you believe in Jesus, you always have to be hopeful. You always have to be joyful. You shouldn't have any problems in your life. Well, some of you might not have the problem of barrenness, but uh, you might struggle with different issues in your life that you feel like, you know, these things are never going to change. God is just neglecting me in this area of my life. For some people, that's, it's your education. Like, you didn't go into the, the, the school that you wanted, or maybe you're not enrolled in, 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 in college, and people are constantly asking, you know, where do you go to school? And you're saying, no, I'm working. And, 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 you, and, and, and they, they ask you, wait, what's wrong? Like, there's nothing wrong. I'm just working, right? I'm just worried, living life. But it's like the social expectation is to be in, enrolled in college and to, to live a certain life at that moment. After you do that, immediately when you graduate from college, what's the next question? What's your job? Right? And, and you might be traveling. You might be taking a break. And, 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 but people are thinking, well, you're, you're in your mid-20s. You should have a stable job. And then they're asking questions, you know, 
now after you have a job, well, when are you going to get married? <laughs> and then you, that, and that's the big one, right? And, and you're always being asked that question, right? You, you, that, and, and you want to really let them know that, no, it's not because I have the gift of singleness. No, it's just that God has not showed up yet. He hasn't bring me my Adam yet. And so you're waiting, you're waiting. And the moment that you, you get married, the next question is, now, when are you going to have kids? And the next question after you have kids is, is well, um, the question where it almost feels like, no, are these really my kids? Because my kids don't seem normal. Right, right. God is, 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 has given me the most difficult kids in the, kids in the world. Everyone else, they, they seem to be behaving. They're all good. And so parents are thinking, why is God, God you know, putting all, all this trouble in my life, giving me these difficult kids? And then kids are thinking, God, why are you giving me these difficult parents to me? Right? Do you see that the problem of disappointment and hopelessness is not just an issue that Zachariah and Elizabeth are dealing with throughout our life, whether it's health issues, it could also be spiritual issues. I know a lot of people have been praying that they want to encounter God in a very, very real way. Our senior pastor always shares his testimony. He talks about how his wife first became a Christian, was going to church, and because he loved his wife so much, he attended church, but for 10 years he was sitting through service, and nothing made sense. Ten years, he was like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like, and it's not like he didn't try, right? Uh, and, and there are situations where you feel like, I've been coming to church for a long time, and it feels like everyone else is getting it. Everyone else has incredible faith, but I'm being left out. Like, God, you're not encountering me in the way that you're encountering other people. So you kind of see that life is full of trouble that makes us feel helpless in different ways. And this helplessness, it leads to hopelessness. And some of you are hopeless for a good reason, because you don't know Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the hope of glory, and without Jesus, really, there is, is no answer to death. And so you're constantly fearing death. There is no answer to sin, so you're constantly battling sin. There is no answer to the enemy, so you're constantly being attacked by the enemy. So, of course, you're going to live a life where it's filled with, with difficulty and trouble and you feel hopeless. You feel like nothing's going to change. You're living in the mess of this broken world. And at the same time, you can be incredibly godly, faithful, obedient to God, and still battle with hopelessness. So notice that every Christian... Whether you are a believer or non-believer, there are things in your life that are going to make everything seem hopeless. So life is full of trouble that makes everything seem hopeless. The second truth I want to communicate is this. Even when everything seems hopeless, God is still at work. Everything when, even when everything seems hopeless, God is still at work. Notice in verse 8, notice how the story unfolds. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, so Zechariah, he's still serving as a priest. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So you have to notice that Zechariah is not a high priest who, who stayed at the temple, but he's simply a priest. And there were many priests in the land of Israel. 
Israel, close to 1,000 priests. And so it's not like they were always at the temple. Normally, about two weeks out of the year, you would go to the temple and serve, do your duty. And because there are so many priests, they had different roles. But there was this, this job that was, in, in a way, viewed as a privilege for many priests. It was the job to burn incense on behalf of God's people. So what they would do is they would take a lot and they would um, decide who's going to go into the temple, pray a prayer on behalf of Israel, and actually give this incense. And so you notice in verse 10, when Zechariah, when he is chosen, there's a multitude of people who are praying outside. This is his moment. He's on the spotlight. He's been waiting for this moment. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where he can serve the Lord in front of God's people. And so he walks into this situation, but notice that even in the midst of his hopeless situation, even when he's facing disappointment, he's not blaming himself, he's not blaming his past, he's not blaming the world, he's still faithfully following God and serving God. You kind of see that in the midst of all the pain and the disappointment, it is possible to still faithfully serve the Lord and trust in Lord. So once a year, people cast a lot, and Zechariah happened to, be, happened to be chosen. A lot of people would say that this happened by chance. Well, Proverbs 16.33 would say that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Zechariah thought by chance he was entering into the temple. He thought he was entering into the temple to meet the Lord. What he did not know was the Lord was inviting Zechariah to come meet with so we see in verse 11, when he goes into the temple and he stands on the right side of the altar, there's an angel of the Lord that appears, an angel. And this angel is so glorious, so beautiful, that Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and he fell on his face. He, his heart is t- full of fear. He is terrified and says in verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your Prayers have been heard. So here you notice that Zechariah has been praying for a child. He's been praying earnestly, constantly, desperately for his situation. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Even when you feel like God is not listening to your prayers, God is remembering every word that you utter. You might not remember the prayers that you prayed yesterday, but God remembers every single prayer that you have prayed. And it says, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. John the Baptist. So even when everything seems hopeless, God is still at work. Zechariah, Elizabeth, they remained faithful to the Lord, but it wasn't like they were walking in hope. But God shows up, and he prepared all these things, and he says, I have prepared a child for you, and his name is going to be John. So we can walk in holiness, in faithfulness, even when things don't seem all that great. Even when we don't get what we want from God, can still walk in hope because our ultimate hope is found in God. And as long as we have God, even if we don't have all that we hope for, we're going to be okay. After years of waiting in pain and shame, God finally answers the prayer of this couple. But this is just the beginning of the hope that's being restored in this couple's family because this, this couple is actually simply a picture of what the reality was for the Israelites. 
know, if you read through the entire book of the Bible, you're going to come to a place around two-thirds of the Bible where the Old Testament ends. And it ends in Malachi chapter 4. And you flip a page and you have Matthew chapter 1. So just like that, you go into the New Testament. The Old Testament is all about the promises of God, how God is going to restore the people of Israel. It's filled with hope. Even the last chapter of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, it begins with, For behold, the day is coming. This person, like the son of righteousness, he's going to show up. He's going to bring healing to the land. There's this incredible promise of restoration and hope. And then you jump into the New Testament and you see how that is all fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus. But one thing that we often forget is that this one page is 400 years. For 400 years, God was silent. For 400 years, the Israelites, they wondered if God was really going to fulfill his promises. For 400 years, God did not give a single word, a single prophet to the Israelites. 400 years ago, the United States of America didn't even exist. So 400 years is a very long time. So people waited and waited and waited. Fathers told their sons and daughters, one day God is going to send his Messiah, the Savior, and restore our people Again, they grow up and they tell their sons, one day God's going to send his Messiah and restore his people. And generation after generation, they are talking about this promise, yet it seems like God is simply silent. And you can imagine how the Israelites felt at that moment. It's not just a matter of desperation. They were almost hopeless at that point. And so you see why Luke is starting his, his, his gospel, not with the birth story of Jesus, but with the birth story of John the Baptist with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth because this story represents the reality of God's people without the Savior, without Jesus Christ. We are in a similar situation where, where we are hopeless, when we are struggling with hope. And, and we see that God is still working, even though it seemed to the Israelites that God was silent for 400 years. We know that God was still at work. He was preparing the way in, a, in an incredible way. But it's not that God just sends a son to this couple, but notice that God doesn't just deal with this hopelessness, but he shatters the hopelessness in this couple's life and in the life of God's people. So the third point I want to make is this. There is a hope that can shatter all hopelessness. There is a hope that can shatter all hopelessness. I don't care what you're dealing with today. I'm going to tell you on behalf of God's word that there is a hope that's found in this text that can shatter any hopeless situation that you're dealing with. Look at verse 14 when the, when the angel is talking about the son. It says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Now that makes sense because th this is a couple that's having a kid in their 60s, right? 50s or 60s. So yeah, everyone is going to be glad, and, and well, I don't know if everyone's going to be glad. Some people are going to be worried about this couple, but it says, for he will be great before the Lord. So he's going to have an incredible position before the Lord. He, he must not drink wine or strong drink, so he must consecrate himself, set himself apart. He's going to be filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So the reason why he doesn't have to drink is because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 16. It says, and he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. And this is when you begin to think, okay, this is not simply about a child. 
this is about the coming Messiah. Because if you go back to Malachi, the last chapter of the Bible, it ends like this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So God promises before he sends a savior, one who is like the son of righteousness, he's going to send Elijah the prophet, who's going to restore the hearts of the people. And here we see that this son, he's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And it says in verse 17, how he's going to do this, he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is not simply a promise that is being fulfilled to this couple. This is a promise that is being fulfilled to the people of God. For 400 years, this couple waited for many years, maybe 40 years. The people of Israel, they waited for 400 years. It seemed hopeless. They were being attacked, conquered at, by different nations. They were living under the oppression of, and, 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 and the rule of foreign gods and foreign nations. And, and they're wondering, when is God going to actually deliver his promise? When is God actually going to show up? And here, in this moment, you see that God, he, he, he's going to fulfill his promise. Sending the one like Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And so we are reminded in today's passage that God, that he shatters all hopelessness with the child, the son of God, Jesus Christ. The reason why hope is really restored in this couple is not simply the fact that they have another kid, they have a kid. It's the fact that this kid is going to bring the ultimate promise that was made throughout the history of the Old Testament, which is the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Zechariah responds to the angel, how shall I know this? In verse 18, for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, a lot of people say, okay, Zechariah, how can you do that? You know, I mean, you just saw an angel. How do you respond so, in such unbelief? But I think we need to give Zechariah a break, right? I mean, he's in his, probably he's in his 60s. Like, he's tired. He's weary. And, and all this is so surreal. So uh, but notice, he's, here's some good marriage advice. Notice that he says, I am an old man, and my wife is an uh, no, not an old lady, but my wife is advanced in years. So you don't talk about your wife's age uh, <laughs> outside, but that's just a tip, uh, a marriage uh, 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 advice to you. But in verse 19, the, the angel responds, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of, of the God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring this good news, which is literally the translation of the gospel. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So some people view this as a punishment of unbelief, I personally think that this is a means of grace because Zechariah, you know, who knows what, what he's going to say after seeing an angel. So God is really allowing him to stay, remain in silence so that he, in a way, can, can have a time out and really think about the Lord. He can rest in God's promises. And so when he walks out, everyone's anticipating, okay, um, him to pray a prayer. They're wondering, why did it take so long, Zechariah? And we're told that he can't speak. So the Bible says in verse 22, he came out and he was unable to speak. So he's making all these signs to communicate the vision. And so I kind of imagine it being something like this. Zechariah comes out and, and people are like, Zechariah, where, where were you? Like, what took you so long? And, and Zechariah's like, so what happened? What happened in the temple? Like, 
it's like, was it was a bird that that came in the temple, or like, was it, was it bad or like is that what, what was it, and and. And, and so, and, and then they, he, he goes to this, and they, they finally get, okay, it was an angel. You saw an angel. So what did the angel say? And Zachariah goes, and that's, that's when you, and, and, and that's when you know that something, something was up, okay? And Zachariah points to Elizabeth, who's probably there, and goes like this, and Elizabeth is like, no, 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 no. The angel did not tell you that I'm fat. That I need to lose weight. That, that did not happen. Like, you know, if you want me to lose a couple pounds, you tell me straight up. But you don't, you don't go walk into the temple, come out, try to act all funky, and, and say, you need to lose weight because an angel told you so. Like, no. Like, and they finally understand. But notice what, it's, what, it, what it says in, in, in verse 23. Uh, and when his time of service ended, he went to his home after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach, my shame among people. So here you see that Elizabeth was really dealing with shame, right? She was really dealing with disappointment, and she was troubled, anxious, worried, a heart of hopelessness, but when a heart that is hopeless, encounters the true hope in God. You see a picture of a heart at rest, and that's what hope does. It doesn't change everything at the moment, but it changes your heart where you can finally rest. The disappointment, discouragement, depression, when the hope of God invades that type of heart, you can finally trust and rest and worship God. And so hopelessness is shattered by God giving a child to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in the same way, God shatters the hopelessness of our lives in this world by giving us another child. And his name is Jesus Christ. Our life is full of trouble, trials and tribulations that are going to lead us to think that we are hopeless and helpless. But always remember that God is still working in the midst of your hopelessness, even when you think there's nothing that's going to work out. Nothing can get any better than this. Um, just know that God is still at work, so remain faithful. Be blameless before him. Don't give up. Serve him, trusting that God is the God of hope. And ultimately, you have to remember that God shatters all hopelessness in Jesus Christ. So what is hope? Hope, I love how one pastor says this, Pastor Josh Smith says this, hope is the absolute confidence that the best is yet to come. Hope is the absolute confidence that the best is yet to come. Even when you feel hopeless, how can you have hope? You remember in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. And if you know that the best is yet to come, then your life it's going to be completely different. If I know I have a big meal in the evening, that our family is gathering and we're going to have either steak or a nice meal, I'm not eating chips before that meal. I'm not stuffing myself with junk food because I know something better is coming. Well, Timothy always stuffs himself with junk food. 
because a lot of times he doesn't know what's, what's coming, right? So that's how we live life. If, he, if there's nothing, that's, nothing good that's coming your way, then you're going to try to live in the now. But if you know that in Jesus Christ you have this hope that the best is, has yet to come, then you can live in anticipation. You can live in self, with self-control. You can live not indulging in all the things of this world, but you can live in honoring God in every possible way. You know, maybe some of you guys have been really discouraged when you received this advice, when you were struggling with a particular situation. Some people say, well, when you're going through a difficult time, don't worry, one day it'll all make sense. Someday you will fully understand. Does that give you comfort? Does that give you peace? Why you lost a loved one? Why things in your life did not work out? Why God allowed you to fail in that moment? Why you got sick at that moment? Do you think it will really feel better if God put you, pulled you aside and is like, let me explain. Here, 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 here. This is, this is all I was thinking, and yeah, yeah this, is, this, is, this, this was my plan. No. It doesn't neglect the fact that that, that that struggle and that difficulty was so real. Our hope is not in the fact that one day we will understand. Our hope is in the fact that our life right now is in the hands of the one who understands, who is God. Even if God tries to, to, to explain everything about our situation, number one, we will never fully comprehend because we are not God. But we can rest in hope and in peace because we know that God, he has everything in his hands and he knows. And that's good enough for us. So where's your hope today? Are you hopeful that the best has yet to come? Because Christmas reminds us that the best has yet to come. So let's live with hope. Let's live with joy. Let's live with this simple truth. That, that we have a Savior who shatters all hopelessness. Amen? Let's pray.